If you know me, you know that I am, or at least if you've been here for a while, you know that I don't often or I usually don't uh, pay much attention to the calendar in terms of holiday schedule, which is basically to say that uh, today will be my first Mother's Day sermon I'm ever preaching, I'm pretty sure, in 12 years of full-time ministry and four more years of, of uh, part-time ministry. I don't, I don't think I've ever preached a Mother's Day sermon. But I knew this year when we were going to focus on disciple-making and uh, uh, want to grow in our ability to make disciples of all peoples, I knew right away that uh, uh, this will be the year that uh, I, I changed that. By the way, hopefully you're not getting... Uh, upset already because I also have not ever preached a Father's Day sermon. That's coming in June, I think, which I honestly think is going to be tougher because it's, it's one thing for me to stand up here today and to, uh, to speak. Well, I guess, uh, anyway, it's one thing to, to speak about, about uh, people like that I have in the back of my head as I'm preparing a message for today, people like my mom and my mother-in-law, and especially this morning, people like my wife, because I see all the incredible things that... Uh, she does and that they have done. And it's a lot easier, uh, I think Eric and I joke about this sometimes, that, uh, that uh, you tend to have Mother's Day sermons that uh, speak really highly of moms and you tend to have Father's Day sermons that, that uh, challenge dads to step up to the game a little better. And uh, so there's sometimes a discrepancy there. And my intention with both messages, so you know I'm already gonna be getting there in June, Lord willing, is to simply take a look at the role that moms and dads play in making disciples, without a doubt, without a doubt, the first and foremost, the chief area that every one of us who are parents ought to be concerned about in the subject of making disciples is our own children. We have a ready-made field uh, heart, widened to the harvest that God has given to us in our natural-born children. Um, and uh, I think maybe it's worth saying up front here, I think that it's uh, not only possible but actually exists that churches and church programs and pastors even, maybe pastors especially, have, uh, can do all kinds of great teaching and work and trying to promote how to make disciples among people and forget the first field of discipleship that's right in front of them, which is their children. We are in the third unit of our, our Sunday school focus, which is to teach them to obey. And it is the unit that I think uh, is the hardest to put a finger on sometimes. But I also think it's one of the most critical units uh, because it is the ongoing, long, difficult journey of discipleship that still hits every one of us. Right? All of us sitting in the pews. The difficult, ongoing journey. And so today as I talk about moms... I suspect that uh, there are some people who are continuing to be moms even when their children are adults. And I think that's good. They should be. There's people who are acting like moms to other adults because they don't have a mom. Either because she's died or because she's not in their life. There's all kinds of scenarios where people are acting like moms. And it's one of those difficult things, right, where I can preach a message, I'm going to preach a message about mothers, and uh, recognize that there's, 
obviously all the guys sitting here that are going to say, well, what, 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 what am I here to, for today? Let me tell you why you're here today. One, I think you need to see uh, what, what, uh, what things we can learn from the Word of God about moms as disciple makers. Two, I would suggest, especially if you're a husband, uh, or a, uh, yeah, if you're a husband this morning, that your estimation of your wife will increase dramatically with the things that are talked about today. It is, uh, I, from my own experience, it's very, very, very easy to undervalue those people we call moms and what they do. A couple of things I'll share today that I think uh, speak to that. But also, obviously, if you're here today and you're not a mom, you're, you're single or you're married without children or you're uh, still too young to be married, you might think, well, what, what is there for me? And, and part of it uh, is unavoidable. There's, there's certainly uh, part of the message that I, I think you probably won't be uh, sort of feeling in here like you sometimes do. But I also think it's worth for your estimation of your mother to increase. All of you sitting here have a mother. Hope you know that. <laughs> that was kind of a joke, so you can laugh at that, but it, obviously it didn't, uh, didn't work too well. But also many people here who are in those roles, uh, are, are in those who are, a, are filling a role of a mother that aren't maybe not biologically a mother, but uh, are, and this applies to you as well. Um, I want to be careful I say that, though. And I hope you can understand me. I, I'm, I'm in a place where people know me and love me, right? <laughs> right? You all love me, I hope. Right? <laughs> Woo! That was not supposed to be a joke. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, sorry. I do want to say this in defense of one of my things that I felt very strongly impressed as I'm doing this message, and I hope you can hear this from a humble, kind, loving, merciful heart. But, I, but because of having been married to an amazing wife that has mothered seven children, um, I do believe that if you're not a mother, there are some things you don't understand about being a mother. Even if you play a mother's role. Even if, you, even if you spend a lot of time, even if you're a great aunt, sister, whatever. And I don't mean that harshly. And I, 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 know, there's, I know there can be pain associated with that. We'll get to this in a little bit. But there, there are some things you don't understand as a mother unless you are a mother. I just don't know how else to say that. Even fathers here today, I think there's some things that we don't understand. There's some weights that we don't carry. There's some levels of responsibility. There's some sacrifices. There's some things that we don't, I don't think, know about fully. Moms as disciple makers. Now, the first part here, I just want to establish a basis, and I want to move rather quickly through it because I think it's stuff we know. But I do think it's important to establish why we're even talking about this, why we can or should talk about why it makes 100% sense to match together moms mothers and the act or the role of mothering and disciple making. Why it is absolutely 100% biblical to put those two things together because I think that's exactly what God does in the Bible. For example, if we go to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, we're gonna read words like this. Then God said, this is the end of the, of the creation story. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now we get the full, more in detail of, of how he made male and female in chapter 2. But look at what verse 28 says. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I'm going to stop there. But he, God blessed the making of husband and wife, of man and woman, but it's going to end up being husband and wife, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And from the very get-go of the creation account, from the very get-go, we see that God is interested in this thing that we call today discipleship, but it's in multiplying. It's in growing. It's that there be, off, uh, 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 there, there be offspring that, that, that comes to follow after mom and dad. Now, of course, you could take that as a purely uh, physical thing, purely physiological thing, a purely thing that, well, we should have babies. And I don't think that's what, reading the rest of the Bible, I don't think that's what God is interested in. He is interested in more followers, more devoted people, more lovers of him, more people who will give him glory. And that, my friends, is what you call a disciple, right? That's what a disciple is, someone who's devoted to God. Someone who loves Jesus Christ. And from the get-go, when he looked at, at male and female, he said, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. I want you to make disciples. When God made a complaint through the prophet Malachi to the people of Israel, he brought up this subject. Now, he's talking about their marriages being together. And he talks about, and I'm just going to read one verse here, Malachi 2.15. It says, it says that God was in the midst of their covenant. Did, God, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? When husband and wife came together, the Holy Spirit was there and, and helped to make them one. And then he asked them a question. And what was the one God seeking? Or what was the unity that God was seeking? Or why did God become one? If you want to phrase the question this way, why did God become one? one with husband and wife. Why is it like that? And then he answers that. And the answer's up there so you can read it. What is the answer? God was interested in godly offspring. He wanted multiplication to happen. He wanted disciples to be made. Now again, sometimes we devolve that into just saying, well, people should have kids, which that's entirely within God's uh, uh, choice, right? Whether you have kids or not. My wife and I learned that lesson early on in marriage. Well, when we wanted to have children, we weren't able to. So it's entirely within God's, uh, God's story of, of, to write. But his intention is that there be some kind of multiplication effect going on, some kind of discipleship going on. And his complaint, if you just want to keep this in context, his complaint to the people of Israel was that your marriage is your husband's. Go figure on Mother's Day, so I've got to bring the husbands in. And, and, but your husbands are not staying faithful to their wives. And the problem with that, he says, is that that means that this multiplication, this godly offspring process is stopped, has stopped. In the New Testament, we're going to get to these in, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, as we're studying through the book of Ephesians. But Paul gives a wonderful picture of what husband, well, wonderful, potentially wonderful, depends on how you like that. But I mean, he gives, a, he gives a very passion plea for what husband and wife should be like. And at the end of it, he says, hey, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church even so, he follows up by saying husbands should love their wives and wives should respect their husbands. But this is what God is putting together. I'm just establishing the basis. What God is putting together is to say that he wants more followers of him. And his design on how to do that starts first and foremost with husbands and wives having children and raising them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and making disciples out of them. 
That's, that's discipleship 101. That's, that's, the, that's the plan of discipleship. Now, we know it happens in all kinds of other contexts, and it ought to happen in all kinds of other contexts. But this is the picture that God is painting. This is how God is bringing these things together. So we know that it takes a father's role and a mother's role to make disciples. Are we putting this together? It takes a father's role and a mother's role to make disciples. This is what God does. Now, God is the fullness within himself. But when it comes to us, we are not the fullness. I am not. My wife is not. None of you are, hope that's not news to you, are the fullness of Christ yourselves. Which means it takes those multiple roles coming together. And God says, let me give you a picture. You know, our, 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 our marriages and our families are supposed to paint pictures for people, right? They're supposed to represent something. Husband and wife, Christ and the church, and children, what the church does in union with Christ so that it makes more, they make more disciples. So today I want to look at what, do mom, what role do moms play? So far I could have been saying all this and, and then preached the Father's Day sermon. I hope you understand that. And maybe you'll get some of the same stuff, or maybe you'll just have to remember it up here so I don't have to give it again next time. But... It's what God's after. But I want to just, just speak even more to the role of a mom because I think that in Scripture, we should almost automatically think of mothers when we think of people becoming followers of Jesus. Do you know why I say that? I think in the actual birth process of having children, the Bible reveals to us what it's like to, have, to make disciples. Jesus, I don't just say that out of context, by the way. Jesus refers exactly to that. Remember the night scene where Nicodemus comes to him in John chapter 3, and he starts to have some conversation with him, and Jesus jumps right in, and he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, he's thinking of the physical birth process. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I read that only to help you see that Jesus was laying down a parallel. And he talked about being born again. And he uses that language, which I think means to us that he's trying to get us to immediately think back to, well, what is it about the birth process physically that mirrors the birth process spiritually? Now, we could take probably more time, more time than, we, than I'm going to this morning, but I'd invite you to continue thinking through that as the days go by. What does it mean to be born again or to bring someone to a place where they are born again? Certainly a seed has to be planted, but that has to be, that, that, there has to be some kind of, of protective place where that seed can grow. And that's what happens in discipleship, right? There's a protective place that's being fed and nourished and being taken care of, and it grows and it grows and it grows. You see, all, you, all of you, if you know anything about having babies, you know this is, this is literally true, right? This is literally true of, of, of physical birth. And there's growth and there's growth, and the time comes when, it has to, when, when, when what's been growing there needs to be born. And, and let me just ask you this question. Does the birth process come in peace or in travail? Does it come easy or does it come in difficulty? Now here's a question all the moms can answer, far better than anyone else. There's a lot of 
There's a lot of effort and pain and blood and all kinds of difficulty. But this is what, this is what, this is the process that people go through to be born again. You understand? I'm not trying to gross people out. I'm not trying to, but this is the process that people go through to be born again. There's struggle and there's birth pains and, and, and there's, and there's, there's, there's contractions and there's a lot of ugliness and a lot of hard work. Has anyone discovered yet that to get someone to say yes to Jesus Christ authentically takes a lot of hard work? It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time. It may cost you something. It may hurt you to bring a disciple out. It's why Paul said, I am perfectly willing to have death work in me so that life can work in you. I suspected if you ask your wives, husbands, whether they felt like they're about to die when they're ready to give birth, I bet many of them say they, they do. We want to recognize the parallel between what happens physically and to see the spiritual birth that has to happen. But I want to turn now, and I want you to open your Bibles if you haven't already. I haven't given you really a reference yet. So I'm going to turn now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read some verses to you. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is giving uh, his, uh, maybe not rationale, but his, um, he's talking to them about how he came to them in ministry and how he made disciples. And he uses an interesting phrase which caught my attention, which is why we're going to read about it today. But let's read it first. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says. For you yourselves know, he's talking to the, those people that he, that he brought to Christ, for, and he's writing a letter back to them. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to test, sorry, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I jumped down the line. Verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I'm going to stop there. It was, as you probably can suspect, it was verse 7 that caught my attention. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And my brain began to run about how in this passage, we see some characteristics that Paul interestingly enough, refers to himself as and the people that were with him, and he likens it to a mother. So I thought, well, here's something we can learn about what mothers do, about the role that moms play in discipling their children and discipling all kinds of people. Because again, it takes the mothering role, I believe, to bring someone to Christ. It takes someone who will do these kinds of things with someone to bring them to Christ. 
a mother's role. I just one more step to reinforce because Paul says when we came, we did not, we did not, we did had no impure motives. We didn't do it out of some kind of misguided attempt. But he says we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And I want to just emphasize or just stop there for a moment and speak to those of you who are mothers here this morning. I want you to know that if God chose to give you a child, if God in his sovereignty chose to give you a child, or if and when he does choose to do that, then that automatically means that you have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel with your children. You have been approved by God and the gospel has been entrusted to you so that you have something to share with your children. Which is why he says, so we speak. So words come out of our mouths. So right there, we're still studying basis, but kind of walking into, this is what mothers do. As mothers raise their children, as they train them in a million different ways, as they correct their behavior, as they encourage their behavior, as they try to take them bites full of food that the child doesn't want to take, as they change stinky diapers, as they wake up during the night, as they do all the bazillion things that moms do in little kids' lives and in the growing kids' lives to know that you've been entrusted with the gospel, which means you should speak those things so that when you are doing whatever mundane task, that there's a reason behind that mundane task. You don't just exist to bring your children up physically and send them off and say, I've succeeded because now they're an adult and they can manage through life. You were entrusted, I read the basis, you were entrusted by, approved by God, entrusted with the gospel so that you can make disciples out of those children that God has brought into your home or those people that God has brought into your life. This is your role. This is what you do. It's the Father's role too. We'll get to that in June. In June. But I want you to know this morning that there are words that you can and should speak, not to please man, not to please man, but to please God. I don't say this in, with incrimination or with any kind of criticism. I don't say it to scare you. I simply say it to inform you. It would be a terrible thing for you to arrive at the throne of God someday and for you to have to answer for what you did as a mother to your, for your children or to your children or with your children and to realize that you missed the greatest opportunity you had to make disciples because you chose to do other things or to be consumed with other things or to not want your child or to uh, just raise them in the ways of the world or just help them be successful in the world or teach them how to tie their shoes but forget to teach them how to pray. It would be a sad thing. I know for a fact on that day, if that were to happen, you would regret it infinitely. So I don't want you to get to that day. But there's a few things I picked up out of this text that I think fit mothers very well. And I just want to share them as they seek to disciple their children. As I see my wife disciple my children. Um, I told you, I, 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 have, I have my own mom here this morning and... I'm so grateful for her. I have my mother-in-law here this morning, and I'm so grateful for her. I just thought about it again this morning as we're sitting here. What an, an absolute incredible gift it is to me and to my children that uh, both Heidi and I come into 
a family with really good moms. And and I know it's not what everybody has, and so I'm just really appreciative of that. And I thank the Lord for that. And I want to tell my mom and my mother-in-law, thank you for that. But I will also unashamedly say at this point, uh, Heidi and I have been married for almost 22 years. And uh, much of what I'm talking about this morning is an honor to her. Because I think she's a fantastic mother. And I think she could be teaching the things that I know she won't. And so I'd like to say them about her this morning. She may chuckle at a few of them. Or wonder why I came up with them, but I stand by what I said. Maybe this first one especially. But I think it's true. I'll tell you why I say this in a little bit. Verse 7, Paul says, we were gentle among you. And I find, (laughs) inevitably you paint with pretty broad strokes when you do stuff like this, right? And it doesn't fit every single person that's here. But I find, very rarely do I find of a marriage that a husband is more gentle than his wife. I didn't ask my wife if I could say this, so hopefully she's okay if I say this. I probably should never do this again. (laughs) This is why I don't preach Mother's Day sermons. One of our children, one of our younger children, I think it might have been Oliver, I'm not sure, might have been Annie. and he was, they were, I don't remember which one it was, but what our child was talking about why, they were talking about that they like mom better than me. <laughs> it's true. And we were asking them why. And I know sometimes we make a joke about this, but, and I'm not, I mean, but I think it was Oliver, because I think he said out of his mouth, he said, I like mom better because she's soft. And I know we sometimes make jokes about, you know, physical appearance of what that means. And maybe he was referring to that in part. But I think it matches. <laughs> it matches the reality. There's a gentleness. I find many times when there's words coming out of my mouth that are critical of my children. And I look across the room and I see my wife and she just, like, tells me to tone it down. And I know she's right. This word actually, the word is apios, E-P-I-O-S in Greek. And the root of that word is the word epi, which means to speak. So it actually is a tying back to speaking the gospel. But there's gentle words. You know when a kid comes up crying, right? And a mom says, oh, what happened? And they love on their children. And their children know that if they need someone who's going to be gentle with them, they're going to go to mom. They're not going to go to dad. Another joke we have in our house is that between the two of us, my wife and I, that, that I'm, I have mercy and compassion and she doesn't. Which isn't true, by the way. And I was thinking through this and I was, again, just running through the real on, on, in, in our own family And I know that if you'd ask every one of my children, they would say that their mom is gentle and probably more than their dad. Because I, and and there's reasons for it. We may get to that in June still, but 
there's reasons for it, right? That there's things that happen. I'm the, I'm the principal in our school. I'm, I'm the one who calls kids to account when things aren't going right. But my wife is there for them to snuggle up to, to get a hug. Gentle. I see that moms are nourishing to their children. And again, I see this great parallel between the physical and the spiritual. Of course, moms are nourishing, right? From the very get-go, from the first moments of a baby's life out of the womb, a mom is feeding her baby and caring for her or him. And all through the years, <laughs> meal after meal after meal after meal after meal after meal after endless meal. But there's something, there's something connected somehow between feeding people physically and feeding people spiritually. Do you know that? There's something connected about what happens when you feed people physically and when you provide food for them. It's why there's this incredible thing called the dinner table that families should sit around, that brothers and sisters have fellowship over. Why is that so special? Why does it mean so much to eat? But there's something, I don't know how I have it all connected, but there's something that's connected between physically eating and being fed spiritually. And moms, you should know that all the hours you put in nourishing your children is not just a physical thing. You have the ability to speak to your children because you feed them. Not just physically, but you feed them. You provide sustenance to them, strength to them. Again, now it happens occasionally, when they can't find mom, that my children come to me and ask for food. But very rarely, right? If I'm hungry, if I'm in need of something, when there's an emptiness inside of me, where do I go? I go to my mom, because she can fill me. She can feed me. She can, they, they all tie together, right? Mothers are gentle, they're words, they're nourishing, they feed our children. Again, again, could I, could I encourage mothers here today? There's an aspect of speaking. Can you, can you find ways to connect the gospel to the mundane things of making supper every evening? To feeding your family and to say, I mean, Jesus did it all the time, right? He handed out bread and fish. He fed people. And then when they only wanted the bread, he said, no, 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 no. You only follow me because you want to be fed physically, but I'm about more than that. And mothers can play an incredible role. They do play and can play an incredible role in feeding and nourishing and letting it be more than that. I see along with those, these all kind of go together, but I see a nurturing. He says all in the same verse there. We were gentle. We were like a nursing mother. We were like a feeding mother. And we were taking care of her own children. That's what mothers do. I already gave this example. I don't need to give it again. But when a child is hurt, where do they go? Where do they go to find help when they've scraped knees, when 
when they're even a little older and, and their pride gets stinged or they get embarrassed or they get humiliated or they're struggling with something or their heart gets broken by someone or something, all those things, where do they go? They go to the one who can nurture them, the one who cares for them, the one who doesn't just say, oh, you'll be all right, toughen up, who says, I care about you. I feel the pain you have. I'm gonna hug you and walk you through this. Mothers are nurturing, and I can tell you that people that we want to come to know Jesus Christ, they need these things. They don't just need somebody coming to them telling them, hey, this is what the Bible says, and if you don't get your life right, they need someone who's gonna be gentle in their words and nourishing and feeding, maybe physically, but also spiritually, and nurturing of this, this, this life that is being birthed inside of someone that's waiting for that great big struggle to come when they begin to obey. Or when they're already believers, and the battle is real, the battle is so fierce, because the enemy comes and there's all kinds of relational stuff and there's all kinds of other stuff. There's all kinds of sinful tendencies. They need someone who's going to say, come sit at my table. I'll make you a cup of tea and have a muffin and the cup of tea and muffin will feel like heaven to them and it will have nothing to do with the drink or the food that's in front of them, right? It won't have anything to do with that. It'll be about somebody that cares about me and is willing to sit and listen. And if we're going to talk about the tough ongoing work of helping people be obedient to Jesus, we've got to have moms. We've got to have people that are willing to do that. There's a few other things I gleaned out of here that's a little turning of the corner because I take them from a broader, not just that one verse, and they may apply to more than just moms, but I'm going to tell you, it's what I see in my own marriage. It's what I see in my own house. I see that Paul says that when we came to you, we were so willing not just to share the gospel, but we were willing to give of ourselves. And I don't know that you find people more giving than mothers. I really mean that. I don't know that you find people more giving than mothers. I did not realize this until I was married and, and we had children. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I wish I could. I mean, I'd love to be seen as a person who sacrifices all kinds of things, and I'm sure I've sacrificed some things for my children. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I have not come close to the sacrificing that my wife does for my children. I mean, she just gives up everything. She's always the last one. I poke fun at her, but every time there's choices of things, she always is like, well, whatever's left over is what I'll have. And it's true, it's like what's inside of her. It's what she'll gladly do. You know, we see everyone else get first in line. We see everyone else want, I want that one. That's the biggest. That's the nicest. And mom's always waiting in the back. I'll just take what's left over. Moms give of themselves, don't they? That's what makes disciples, friends. People who are willing to give up what they want and sacrifice and love someone enough to give of themselves over and over and over and over again. Speaking of that, did you notice what Paul says in there? In verse 9, he says, remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And I thought, boy, if that doesn't describe a mom, I don't know what will. We have a saying for a reason, right? A mother's work is never done. There's a reason for that saying. It's because, <laughs> I mean, look around your house when you have kids. Moms, can I ask you, when, when is it finished up? When, when's your checklist done? When, when, are, you, when are you all finished? 
And even if you would be, just wait till the next hour rolls by and there's somebody asking for you to have a meal again, right? To get some food again. That's how it works. Endless labor. I suspect that if we want to hold up models for what people should act like when they're trying to make disciples of someone, instead of going to the people who have gone to college, people who've drafted curriculum, the people who've studied the Bible so well, the people who are gifted orators, the people who can all, I suspect we should look at mothers and say, that's the price it's going to take. Are you willing to pay that to bring someone in the kingdom? Are you willing to give of yourself over and over and over again? Are you willing to work endlessly? That's what Paul says he did. That's what I see many of our moms do. And again, I would encourage moms to do it with a purpose, to not just be on a hamster wheel and say, I just got to do it over and over and over again, but to make a purpose out of it. That there's a reason for why you're doing, that you can connect the everyday tasks, the things you're doing. I think, by the way, you have one of the best abilities to demonstrate what all of us desperately need is that some of the most glorying things we can do for Jesus Christ are the everyday mundane obediences to him. Not the bright flashy things, right? It's dad that gets to go out and save the world and work hard and bring home all the money. It's mom who gets to do all the, we would say boring, all the unnoticed, all the thankless, all the endless Little things, day after day after day after day. Again, I'm painting with a broad brush. Not everyone's situation fits this. I also think of this because Paul says very clearly that we, were not, we did not come to seek glory from people. And in today's culture, I think being a mom is probably the most, it's probably about one of the lowest positions, one of the lowest places you can be. Our culture around us has devalued being a mother so much. Unfortunately, in our own circles, it's sometimes the same way. I see my wife work harder than I do, longer than I do, more sacrificially than I do. And I see her get almost no credit I get lots of credit. All of you all are very good to me, very, very kind to me. You, you, you puff me up all the time. You say all kinds of nice things about me all the time. Thank you. But very rarely do I have people coming to my wife and building her up for the fact that she worked all week long with seven kids that are just incredibly precious and are incredibly, going to be incredibly useful in the kingdom of God if they're raised up to be disciples. And guess who spends most of the time with my kid children? Guess who shapes them more than anyone else does? Guess who should get all the credit for when they turn out good? It's my wife. I get to shut the office door and work. And she's there all the time. Husbands, I think it's something we don't understand. We step out, we may have stressful days at work. We may have things going on that are pushing our buttons. We may come home exhausted. We may, we may be frustrated with things. We may, I don't know that we understand what it's, what it's like to have been at home. If you have a wife that stays at home, to be at home with children all day long. And I know what we often feel like, well, it's time for me to kick up my heels. When does she get a break? When does she get to step away? 
One is the giving of herself and the endless labor and the no glory. When does that get to stop for her? Can you spare a few kind words in a few moments? As I look at what we've been talking about uh, as we go through making disciples, I need to wrap this thing up. We've been working about, the, we're talking about the fact that we have to be a disciple to make disciples and then we want to teach them. And I, I, again, I'm just struck by how perfectly this fits in with mothers, what mothers do. So moms, you have an incredible uh, opportunity to be disciples in your home and make disciples of those children or those people that are around you. Again, if you, you may be filling that role. I hope you're filling those gaps and I, I don't have time to say it every time. And then teaching them to obey. Not just teaching them how to make their bed, pick up their clothes, or teaching them how to cook in the kitchen or to do some other chores or whatever. You can teach them. You should be teaching those too. But, but knowing why you're teaching them those things. You're teaching them how to be responsible. You're teaching them how to work as unto the Lord. You're teaching them joy in every menial task. You're teaching them what it means to respect other people's property and, 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 and other things. You're, you're teaching them all kinds of things of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But make sure they know that, right? Make sure they know that, that that's why you're teaching them those things. And it's possible. It's possible. Do you know that when Paul is addressing Timothy... Timothy, who is an incredible man, a young man that Paul latched onto and said, this guy's come with me. And he went all over with Paul. Paul left him at Ephesus, installed him as an elder. We knew all, was, Timothy did incredible good. Do you know that when Paul was addressing him, who did he give credit to for Timothy's faith? Do you know this? I'm reminded, he writes to Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Moms, it's possible. The role you play is entirely possible to disciple young men and women to be committed followers of Jesus Christ, to be a glory unto Jesus in this church. It's possible. It's what you're called to, I believe. Let's pray together. God, thank you for what you've done in our mothers. I just want to ask a blessing this morning on those who have been mothers, those who are currently mothers, those who are acting like mothers, and those who someday will be mothers. I'm asking for your blessing upon them, God. So much of what I shared tonight, I, or this morning, I shared out of just what I see in my own family, but I know it's happening in many, many other homes. I know our moms aren't perfect. I know our moms aren't perfect, God. But I ask for your blessing, your filling of the Holy Spirit, that you would just... Uh, remind them of the holy task that you've called them to, the, the gift, the opportunity they have to, to be as a mother to someone and help them to become disciples. And I'm asking that the words that I gave, I hope they were honoring, I hope they were encouraging, I hope they are inspiring, but even more than that, I'm asking God that you would come alongside, that you would fill, because I know that does far more, that does far more than what I could ever do. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.